Good morning. I'm Morgan, and I'm on staff the church. So I have a question for you. If I were to ask, what are you most passionate about? What, what are you all in? What might you say? Maybe it's the Colorado Avalanche, and this hockey season was just quite the ride, and you were following along every step. Maybe it's the stampede, and you're getting ready months in advance. Maybe it's golf. Cornerstone Open was, was last night, and for everyone, you know, for people like Will, who just dominate, you know, as many people as there's that, there's also people on the other side, like me, who maybe finish towards the bottom. Maybe it's Joanna Gaines decor that you are just all in about. Or maybe it's push-ups. When I was 15, I was all in with push-ups. I was so passionate about push-ups. It was just my thing for whatever reason. So I decided I wanted to do 150,000 push-ups in a year. And so night after night, day after day, morning and evening, I was doing push-ups. <laughs> you know, <laughs> and so, you know, we, we think about these things, we talk about these things, these things consume us that we're most passionate about, right? There's a lot of different things that we are all in with, that we pursue with our whole hearts. Problem is that a lot of times, if we think about the things that we think about most or talk about most or that consume us the most, Jesus is nowhere to be found. So we're in a series called Majoring in the Minors where we're looking at the minor prophets. And Malachi is number 12, the last minor prophet that we'll be looking at. And Malachi is last because um, he, he's the last chronologically. Um, he was writing in the latest time period. So some of the minor prophets that we had looked at um, were written during the Assyrian reign of the region, others during the Babylonian reign when the Israelites went into exile, and Malachi is written during the Persian reign. So the Persians, led by Cyrus, defeated the Babylons and then gave an edict that all the Israelites that were in exile could go back to their homeland, that they could rebuild the temple that was destroyed. So Haggai and Zechariah are written in that period. And now, after that, we fast forward 80 or so years. The temple has been rebuilt. The people, the Israelites, are back in their homeland. The Persians, unlike some of the other people, just leave them alone. So things seem to be good for the Israelites, right? And yet, they've fallen into a pattern, a pattern of half-heartedness towards God. And I think that we can fall into a similar pattern in our own lives. Uh, so if you would, uh, grab a copy of God's Word, there are pew Bibles in front of you or your own, 
or take a phone and open up to Malachi chapter 1. If you don't know where that's at, go to Matthew and turn back a page. Um, and it is important to have something in front of you or else you might get lost. So um, Malachi 1, last book in the Old Testament. And so we'll be reading all of chapter one and then bits and pieces of chapters two, three, and four. Uh, so we'll start out with Malachi one, one through nine. Still hear pages turning, so pause for a moment. An oracle, the word of the Lord to Israel through Malachi. I have loved you, says the Lord, but you ask, how have you loved us? Was not Esau Jacob's brother, the Lord says, yet I have loved Jacob, but Esau I've hated. I've turned his mountains into a wasteland, left his inheritance to the desert jackals. Edom may say, though we have been crushed, we will rebuild the ruins. But this is what the Lord Almighty says. They may build, but I will demolish. They will be called the wicked land a people always under the wrath of the Lord. You will see it with your own eyes and say, great is the Lord, even beyond the borders of Israel. A son honors his father and a servant his master. If I am a father, where is the honor due me? If I am a master, where is the respect due me, says the Lord Almighty. It is you, O priests, who show contempt for my name. But you ask, how have we shown contempt for your name? You place defiled food on my altar. But you ask, how have we defiled you? By saying the Lord's table is contemptible. When you bring blind animals for sacrifice, is that not wrong? When you sacrifice crippled or diseased animals, is that not wrong? Try offering them to your governor. Would he be pleased with you? Would he accept you, says the Lord Almighty? Now implore God to be gracious to us. With such offerings from your hands, will he accept you? says the Lord Almighty. When you bring blind animals for sacrifice, so they were supposed to offer God unblemished sacrifices. They were supposed to offer God their best. But what happened? They got into the habit, the routine of offering God the leftovers, offering, offering God the diseased animals, the crippled animals. It says, try offering this to the Persian governor in your area. Is he going to like that? No. Will he accept you? No. And how much more does respect does God deserve and need from us? And, and how much more respect is he worthy of? Verse 10. And this verse should, should humble us. Oh, that one of you would shut the temple doors so that you would not light useless fires on my altar. I'm not pleased with you, says the Lord Almighty, and I will accept no offering from your hands. God says, just shut the temple doors if you're not going to worship me with all that you are. Just shut the temple doors instead of offering half-hearted devotion, half-hearted worship. It's better for the temple doors to be shut. 
And isn't that humbling? It's better to shut the church doors than offer God half of ourselves, than offer God our leftover worship. God doesn't need our worship, but God desires our worship. And yet, verse 11, my name will be great among the nations. From the rising to the setting of the sun in every place, incense and pure offerings will be brought to my name because my name will be great among the nations, says the Lord Almighty. Nevertheless, God's name will be exalted in this place and in the world. God's name will be glorified. God's name will be lifted high. He will get the praise with or without us. It reminds me of what Mordecai says to Esther. Um, years prior, Esther had to go in front of the Persian king to try to save the Jews who um, Haman was trying to annihilate. And Mordecai says this to Esther in Esther 4, 12 through 14. Do not think that because you are in the king's house, you alone of all the Jews will escape. If you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance for the Jews will arise from another place, but you and your father's house will perish. And who knows, but that you have come to the royal position for such a time as this. Relief and deliverance will come. Praise for God will come, but God invites us to worship him with all that we are. This indictment isn't just against the Israelites, isn't just against the people. It's also for the priests. It's also for the spiritual elite. Chapter 2, verse 1. And now this admonition is for you, O priests. If you do not listen, and if you do not set your hearts to honor my name, says the Lord Almighty, I'll send a curse upon you, and I will curse your blessings. Yes, I've already cursed them, because you have not set your heart to honor me. This is to the priests he's talking about. It's the priests that are just as bad as everyone else. It's, it's everyone. It's all inclusive. Everyone here is guilty of half-heartedness towards God. One of the things that I think, if we're honest, we love to do in the church is point fingers at the world, right? Oh, look at how sinful the world is. Look, look at the idolatry in the world. And I don't know about you, but, but something that's really stuck out to me as we've been looking at the minor prophets is that occasionally, occasionally, just occasionally, God does speak against the evil of the world. Like in Nahum, it's a prophecy against the Assyrians. But a lot of times, most of the time, God is speaking about the sin of his people. Not of the world, but of his people. And I think it's really easy for us to look out and say, look at how sinful 
others are. And it's convenient because then it allows us, it allows us to avoid having to look into the mirror of our own hearts and our own sin. God in Malachi is not speaking about the world's sin. He is speaking about his people's sin, our sin. He's speaking to his church, saying your worship is half-hearted. You're offering leftovers. You're offering the crippled and the diseased animals. And what do we see next in Malachi? Well, we see exactly what we would expect. We see the people offer excuses. They give excuses for half-hearted worship. So look at chapter 1, verse 2. I've loved you, says the Lord, but you ask, how have you loved us? Chapter 1, verse 6. But it is you, O priests, who show contempt for my name. But you ask, how have we shown contempt for your name? You place defiled food on my altar, but you ask, how have we defiled you? Chapter 2, 17. You have wearied the Lord with your words. How have we wearied him, you ask? 3, 7, return to me and I will return to you, says the Lord Almighty. But you ask, how are we to return? 3, 8, will, will a man rob God, yet you rob me? But you ask, how do we rob you? Lastly, 3.13, you have said harsh things against God. What have we said against you? So God makes declarations, and then the people offer excuses. And what's interesting in Malachi, and maybe you saw this if you were reading along this week, but God offers the response each time. The people ask, how have you loved us? How have, you shown contempt? how have we shown contempt for your name? How do we place the foul food on you? How, 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 what have we said against you? And God offers a response each time. And not only that, but then God also makes a declaration about who he is, what's going to happen, or what God is going to do. So let's look at those Malachi 1, 2, I have loved you, says the Lord, but you ask, how have you loved us? Was not Esau Jacob's brother, yet I have loved Jacob, Esau I've hated. Edom may say, though, they've been crushed, we will rebuild. The Lord says they may build, but I will demolish. And we've seen this comparison um, between Jacob and Esau, um, Edom and the Israelites. We've seen this throughout the minor prophets at times. God says, just like I love Jacob, so I love you, so I love the Israelites, so I love my people. 1.6 and 1.7. 
It is you, O priests, who show contempt for my name, but you ask, how have we shown contempt for your name? You place defiled food on my altar, but you ask, how have we defiled you? By saying that the Lord's table is contemptible. See, God responds to the question, how do we do that? By saying the Lord's table is contemptible, and then he elaborates on when you offer blind animals for sacrifice, is that not wrong? But then what does God declare a few verses later in verse 11? My name will be great among the nations. My name will be great among the nations. Chapter 2, verse 17 says, You have wearied the Lord with your words. People say, How have we wearied him? Then God responds by saying, all who do evil are good in the eyes of the Lord. There is evil done, but you, you say it's, it's good. It's all good. Then look what God says in 3, 1. See, I will send my messenger who will prepare the way before me. And we know that in the New Testament, this is John the Baptist. John the Baptist fulfills this role coming before the Messiah, but then look at what it says next. Then suddenly, the Lord you are seeking will come to his temple. The messenger of the covenant whom you desire will come, says the Lord Almighty. And we know that this is Christ. The Lord you are seeking will come to his temple. And the Lord we are seeking has come to his temple in coming to earth, and he has come to his temple in coming into us when we trust in Christ through the Holy Spirit. Continues on in verse 2 of chapter 3, but who can endure the day of his coming? Who can stand when he appears? For he will be like a refiner's fire or a launderer's soap. And that's some of the unique language that Donnie referenced earlier. A refiner's fire, the purpose is to purify a launderer's soap. What's the purpose of a launderer's soap? It's to cleanse. 3, 7. Return to me and I will return to you, says the Lord Almighty. But you ask, how are we to return? Will a man rob God, yet you rob me? How do we rob you? God's saying, you rob me, and the people are saying, what? How? How do we rob you? God says, in tithes and offerings. You're under a curse, the whole nation of you, because you're robbing me. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. And look at what God says next. Test me in this and see that I will not open the floodgates. Test me in this. I know you're doing the math on your accounts and it doesn't look like, but test me in this. I will come through for you. Lastly, in 3.13, you've said harsh things against me, says the Lord. Yet you ask, what have we said against you? You've said it's futile to serve God say, oh, is, is it worth it to serve God? 
Is it worth it? The people wonder. Then look at what God says. Verse 16, chapter 3. Then those who feared the Lord talked with each other, and the Lord listened and heard. A scroll of remembrance was written in his presence concerning those who feared the Lord and honored his name. They will be mine, says the Lord Almighty. In the day when I make up my treasured possession, I'll spare them. Just as in compassion a man spares his son who serves him. And you will see the distinction between the righteous and the wicked, between those who serve God and those who don't. Is it worth it to serve God? Is it, or is it just futile? Is it a waste of time? God says, no, no, no. When I make up my treasured possession, you will be my treasured possession. And chapter four, verse two. But for you who revere my name, the sun of righteousness will rise with healing in its wings and you will go out and leap like calves released from a stall. <laughs> like calves released, just picture that for a moment. That you will have the joy of calves who have just been released and set free. Um, and so as I was reading this, passage, and, and uh, I, I came across this video, and I, Donnie may differ, but I, I think some, I know distinction between animals, and so um, I, I, I understand that this video is not calves, but it, I, I think it gets the, 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 the impression across of, of the joy of what it will be like. <laughs> so here's a video. Look at him go. Oh, oh. All right, now wait for this last one. Wait for the last one. This is where it's at. Oh. <laughs> the flare. <laughs> the joy. The uninhibited joy. And so... In this, in Malachi, we're told that we're half-hearted in our worship. And, and what's, what's our response internally? I think our, our response is similar to the people. It's to make excuses. Hey, hey, God, I'm trying here. Shouldn't you be pleased that I'm giving you anything at all? God, uh, I, you know, I'm just swamped with life. I'd focus more on God if life just wasn't so hectic. Or how dare God say, I'm half-hearted in my worship. I've been here every week for decades. What's the solution? Chapter 3, verse 7. What does it say? Return to me, and I will return to you. God is not in Malachi calling the world to himself. He, of course, does elsewhere in scripture, of course. But here in Malachi, God is calling his church to return to himself. 
God is calling his church, his people, to return. Return to me, and I will return to you. Maybe our worship has become like bread that's been left out way too long. Maybe we've slowly, without realizing it, become stale in our worship of God, in our devotion to God, and maybe we've drifted into this place where, where we give God the leftovers, where we don't give God everything that we are and everything that we have, where, it's, where he's our priority, where he's our focus, where everything comes from him. Return to God, and he will return to us. What does it say in chapter 3, verse 2? That Jesus will be, the one who will come, Jesus will be the refiner's fire and the launderer's soap. Jesus takes our impurities, our half-heartedness, and he purifies us. And isn't it amazing that as we worship God, the tongue that we sing with is a tongue guilty of sin. That, that the hands that we raise in worship are hands that are stained by sin. But Jesus is the refiner, the purifier. He's the one who cleanses us, who, who cleans us. He purifies us, and he's the one who washes us. Oftentimes, we're like a kid who's been jumping in mud piles all day. And what's the biggest issue, if that's the case? It's when you come back home with all the confidence in the world, <laughs> where you're running around the house like you're clean, without realizing you've been jumping in mud all day. Jesus washes us. Jesus cleanses us. He washes us white as snow. So wherever you are at today, whether you're bringing God half-heartedness, whether it's been a quick drift, a slow drift, or whether you feel like you have barely anything left to offer, return to God and he will return to you. Jesus is the one who purifies us, who cleanses us. Run back to him, church. This isn't for the world in Malachi. This is for us. Return to God with everything that you are. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word to us in Malachi. Lord, we pray that wherever we are at this morning, that we would turn back to you. Lord, that we would turn with everything that we are. Lord, however long it's been since we have truly just come to you with all that we are, with all that we have, with our entire hearts, Lord, may we come back to you. Lord, you are the one who created us, the one who cleanses us, the one who purifies us. So, Lord, may we return to you with all that we are. In your name, amen.